This is Dubai Eye 103.8. Startup Clinic. And we have a studio full of guests uh, this afternoon. We're joined by Nikki Welch from Sarid Hospitality. Good afternoon, Nikki. Good afternoon. Very nice to have you with us. Now, Nikki, you've been working on Sarud Hospitality's marketing and digital transformation strategy. So we're going to be talking to you about your transformation with the company, um, the brand, why you've chosen to rebrand and all of those details. We also have two other guests from Joie Brands. We have James and Jonathan. James, hi, nice to meet you. Hi, nice to meet you. And we also have Jonathan. Good to meet you. So, guys, um, your brand, your digital marketing sort of brand, would it be fair to say? That's how most people know you, come to you for that kind of support? Yeah, Joie Brand is a, a branding agency, a boutique branding agency. Okay, so um, we'll start with you guys, actually. Um, if you could give us a bit of background to Joie, because we want to explain to people that this branding is beyond a logo. And I think yeah. that's a kind of conversation that you talk to people about brands and like, oh, yeah, I need to get my company brand changed. And they mean their logo. They don't mean mm. who they are, what they do, what they represent and their identity. So talk us through, you know, to someone who's maybe unfamiliar, what branding really means. Do explain to us. All right. So uh, Joie has been around since 2008. Um, we've done a uh, few big brands like uh, Rove Hotel, the Dubai Opera House, uh, Vida Hotels. And uh, yeah, we come across this all the time where people just want uh, the logo and it's, it's, it's the be all and end all. But the truth is it's, it's only what 10% of what a, a real brand is. Um, Jonathan is probably the best person to uh, elaborate on this. Yeah, and, and and Jonathan, you're the creative director, and you're you're the sort of strategist, not brains behind the operation, because that would do you a disservice. <laughs> I think James um, about seventy five percent of that <laughs> equation. <laughs> but I guess um, you know you deal with clients, you deal with big clients, as we've heard. Um, talk to us a little bit about how you get into their heads that there's a lot more to a brand and a lot more to branding than just their logo. <laughs> I think that. All the brand managers listening to the show right now are breathing a collective sigh of relief at the fact that we've addressed that elephant in the room, right? (laughs) So the thing is that it's very difficult to actually define exactly what a brand is. And uh, Jeff Bezos, the CEO of Amazon, actually says that your brand is what other people say about you when you've left the room. And I think that what's important to, to get out of that is that there are two very important aspects to a brand. It's the perception around your brand and it's the reputation towards your brand. So there are very, very, there are a a lot of different touch points that are happening within the organization, without the organization. Um, And every single one of those touch points represents your brand. So it's it's a very, very broad definition for something that is essentially your organization in a nutshell. And may I add, so... It's 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 like people do business with people that they like, mm. and the brand is almost the personality and the human element of a company. And so, if you can understand your target audience and who they like, then and you portray your brand in the same way, then they're going to resonate with with what you're saying and what you believe in, and they're more likely to want to to do business with you. 
Okay, so we're going to come to, um, in a few moments' time, those difficult conversations you have to have with clients when you maybe are trying to explain to them that they don't have a clear brand, they don't have a clear strategy, a clear identity, and how you navigate those conversations and and some of the mentality that has to change. But Nikki, this is where I'd like to bring you in. So um, if we can start by um, talking about Sarood Hospitality, formerly um, part of the Jumeirah Restaurant Group. So tell us about that change and tell us about what happened. Um, so from our point of view, um, we, as JRG formerly, um, we sat purely on the Jumeirah footprint within the hotels. And then last year, an opportunity came up to expand beyond that footprint into Dubai Hills, where we had um, an opportunity to create two of our own brands and move out of that footprint. It had been part of a strategic conversation long term because we're set up very much to be an independent restaurant company. Um, and... So it was. It had been a long time coming. One of the things that, that we really looked at was it was a major period of introspection for us. So mm. what do we stand for as a company? And we, we spent a year um, unearthing stories in our organization. It's very much a values-based mission. And it started with why. Why do we do what we do? Not what or how we do it, but why. And I think... To, to the boy's point, that's exactly where, and I'm sure, you know, and Ian covered it earlier, why people buy why you do what you do, not what you do. And it has to be driven from that. So we really looked in our organization and thought, right, what do we stand for and what do we mean? And then our branding came from that. It didn't come the other way around. And I think that was the crucial thing for us. Okay, so explain to us then, Sarood Hospitality, where does the name come from? What does it mean? So the word Sarood, um, I'm sure I'm pronouncing it wrong in the Arabic form, um, but it relates to early Emirati craftsmanship. It was a mat that was woven from dried palm fronds and and used at the centre of any feast. So sustainability is one of our absolute core missions. If you cut us in half, it's really what we stand for. And doing the right thing is actually one of our core values. And if you think about sustainability in the Middle East, and we wanted our our tradition and our heritage, we are Dubai-born, and we're proud of our heritage, and we want that to resonate as we expand um, beyond the Emirates in the future. Um, the the palm tree is actually the living and breathing symbol of sustainability. So it was used as for sustenance from you know dates all the way through to creating dwellings for early Bedouins. So it felt like a natural fit. So obviously we're a hospitality company, so it does what it says on the tin. But we wanted something was very much an Arabic word, but it was also easy to say um, across the world. Okay, so how did you sort of make that transition then? So you make the decision to to come out of the comfort of the Jumeirah, you know, footprint, as you said. I know, and (laughs) and that is something. And, you know, you might speak to competitors who who would look at your company and say, why would you let go of the Jumeirah part of your name? Because maybe it opened so many doors for you, but it was important that you wanted to create an identity that was separate, still still from the same family, but separate. Completely. And we are, you know, sister companies, as we know, we're all part of the Dubai Holding Framework. Um, And I think... The, the thing is, is, is Jumeirah is an incredible brand and you're exactly right. Why would you in so many ways? But because practically speaking, we were operating under the same name, but, but we didn't always operate in the same way. Mm. So it would be confusing for both sides of the both equation, sides of yeah. the equation. And, and also we, we wanted to 
I suppose establish our own identity and that's and that's really important because the way we run as an independent restaurant company versus a hotel company will just be practically different so when we're talking about that we're looking at how we establish behaviors in our organization so we did a massive exercise like I said for the last year really coming across and 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 unearthing a, a set of core values that we could live by um, and in so doing that would create the work culture that we need that then in turn creates the brand so we're a holding company obviously Sarut Sar- mm. Hospitality it's not consumer facing brand that's the job of our restaurants to do that but we need to to kind of gather all those people who work in these various restaurants together and give them a roadmap mm. of behavior for success ultimately Okay, and guys, I want to take this back to you because positioning brands and, you know, let's take Saru Group, for example, is something that you would do. You would have that conversation with them as a client and say, what is your message? What is what is it that you're trying to achieve here? And you were this and you're going here. Would you sit down and help them decide on things like a name as well as that roadmap that Nikki's talking about? I think that what we do, and it's it's an incredibly important facet of the entire rebranding process, is that we go through a diagnosis and we identify what areas need to be addressed. So if we're looking at nomenclature or anything like that, we will do a lot more research and a much deeper dive into where the company currently exists. And then we'll scope it out and we'll say, okay, well, are you trying to target a new audience? What is it that you're actually trying to achieve here? And then we'll make uh, certain recommendations based on our findings during that stage. Um, There isn't a one-size-fits-all solution to any of these these questions, obviously. Um, And since each organization is different, we're going to have to have something very specific to each one of those organizations. Yeah, okay. so it's, it's very much a discovery session. You, you go really, really deep into the, the, the culture and the nature of the company, and then you try and find a connection between that and the, the target audience that they're, they're trying to reach. Um, and as Nikki said, it's very much an uh, introspective process uh, to find something that then ultimately becomes uh, outward-facing. And how honest would you say sometimes clients are with you? They might think they want to be something else, but when you start going down that path, it's not maybe um, quite what they imagined, or they might think they're aligned in a certain position, and they might think they're a certain type of brand, but realistically, you know, they are something totally different. Yeah, it's, it's all about setting the right expectations as well, because a strong brand can create a loyal customer that will last for, for a lifetime. Um, and so that longevity will help the company to be more successful, um, generate a lot more revenue off, off one sale. Um, and so when, when a client has got these, th- there's basically this aspiration and there's reality. And we can take them both into account and we do take them both into account. Um, but it's important that that aspiration is achievable because, again, going back to the expectations, when you set those expectations with your brand, uh, if they're not met, then the longevity of that customer is is not there. Okay. And, Nikki, once you do the whole process of looking inwards, being introspective, you, you mentioned it was a year of, you know, fact-finding and looking and, and searching and trying to discover what's important to you. What is the next step then? So you you decide you're going to make the transition. You do all of this research. You decide to implement it. But what are the practicalities of that? Um, It's less daunting than you think. 
So I think lots of people get put off doing things because it, brand is so far reaching. Yeah. Think about it in your own life where you leave your name on things, whether it's an email address, you're changing your bank details, you get yeah. married and that's a nightmare, isn't it? But actually, once you start looking at it, it's, it's less daunting than you think. Again, it boils down to whether it is a desktop exercise or whether it's true. And the success of brands really hinges on two things, sincerity and authenticity, ultimately, whether that's for consumer or whether that's for your colleagues. Um, so it's easier if it's real. So we were, we, the reason we took so long about it is it's such a big deal. Mm. And, and, but it's, it became part of the process, became part of the result. So in so doing, we got to find more about ourselves we got to find more about what we stand for, the kind of people we want to work with, the kind of brands we want to become. Um, can I just ask a question? I know this sounds um, a strange thing to ask, but do you think consumers, customers, end users, depending on what kind of business you are, um, do you think they understand that so many brands have thought so much about who they are, what they represent, and things like that? Do you think most people realise so much effort, so much thought has gone into for my opinion, the way that I see it is that our audiences are way more intelligent than what we give them credit for. Um, while they might not consider the, the, the pure depth of these sorts of exercises, is that the brand truth is really what comes out at the end of the day. Um, the In terms of what it is that these organizations have to offer, the way that they operate, the way that they present themselves, the values that they stand for, all of those things come together towards an identity that over time is really where the rubber meets the road. So when I think that a lot of the benefit towards doing these rebranding exercises is that these entities are forced to look inwards without looking away. And the most successful of these exercises is when we find that they truly adopt what it is that the roadmap really shows them. The more authentic they are, the more they embrace it, and that is part and parcel of being honest with who the organization is. Nobody can be all things to all men. We just need to make peace with that. But the ones who do it right are the ones who manage to have to, to go the long haul at the end of the day. Don't you think, sorry, I just wanted to, it, everyone's their own brand now. Mm -hmm. So there's an intrinsic understanding of the importance of it. Everyone's got an Instagram account that they care so much about and and an opinion they get so much for airing so we are we have so much more of an understanding of what that is and how it can people can be cancelled overnight now yeah. because on the, on the strength of opinion and i think that that's where we have to give an audience more credit they might not have sat and actually thought through it when they truly engage with the brand and you ask why they're making the choices they have most of its values based and that's becoming ever more so as we live in such a transparent age. And we were talking about this before coming on air and actually agreeing that isn't that a great thing? Because in an age of transparency, it means that being accountable and being and behaving well and doing the right thing by your 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 people and the world around you becomes ever more important and hopefully becomes at the center of people's brands ever more. And they use their as a force for good. They use their ability to affect behavioural change. Um, Nikki, the thing that I wanted to know is how easily identifiable are people saying the brand is now? Are they coming to terms with the change? Has it taken a while for other people to react and 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 get used to it, or was it something that happened quite quickly? I think internally, it's been the biggest shift. 
right? So we're not, as, as a hospitality company, you're a holding company. You're not a consumer brand per se. So within the industry, uh, within your industry peers, there's a shift. And obviously internally with your colleagues and employees, there's a shift. Um, but our customers, our consumers, because um, they come through our restaurants, wouldn't necessarily be affected by said change. They would implicitly. So from the actions of our colleagues resulting in hopefully a more um, focused experience or it, or kind of value-driven experience, as it were, um, they, they would feel the effect of it, but it wouldn't be something, it's not quite the same as, you know, a, a very recognised consumer brand changing its name. I remember when Mar- Marathon went to Snickers and that shocked the world. Oh, it was appalling. But, you know, wasn't it? And all. Yeah. Never forgiven them. Yeah. Well, no, we don't, do yeah. we? But so it's it's less of that for us. It's more about the fact that it's um, as we hopefully now have a footprint to grow that identity with the consumer more. Like I said, through actions versus words. And I'll ask you both, James and and, and Jonathan. Um, how do you broach the subject? If you think, how does a company realise, or, or how does a company recognise that they need to rebrand? Maybe it's a time for them to rebrand. I think that. First and foremost, it's it's a worthwhile endeavor for every brand to once again look internally. When those issues start to come to the fore, they kind of present themselves in ways that are very apparent. Once you start to see that there's a little bit of fatigue in terms of how the market responds to your offering, um, what are the dynamics internally within the organization, there are a lot of warning signs that will present themselves. And I think that it's it, it becomes rather apparent through those sorts of, you know, through that lens. And I think it's also a maturing of a company. Uh, rebrand can be seen in positive light where where they realize that maybe what they they started out as is no longer the truth of who they are now and they've they've come a long way so uh oftentimes you know you have the the you just find that your company is a different a different beast a different personality than it was when it started up yeah that's true there can be an evolutionary process to branding jonathan you said earlier that one size can't necessarily fit all in your opinion what's the winning brand like how does one get it right what would you say to an entrepreneur who's currently working on or creating a brand what is the magic recipe or the missing piece from so many brands today the big idea is a concept that you touch on is that something where you can build a brand that touches on the end users emotions as well as meeting a practical need or desire for a product i think first and foremost is that we we need to get to a point where it's not quite so trite to talk about authenticity. Um, a way to sort of overcome that is for us to start stop looking inwards and start looking from our audience's perspective. And I mean to be tr- truly, truly empathetic in that regard. Now, once we're very, very honest in terms of what it is that we are capable of, our brand truth, you know, our ethos, our uh, you know, a raison d'etre, all those sorts of things should be made manifest in terms of the way that we interact with the people who are who are dealing with this. And as I mentioned earlier on, whether that's internally, the way that we treat our resources, the way that we handle our prospects, every single one of those is a touch point. And I, I, the way that I see brands is that they're an incredibly powerful vehicle in, in order to drive behavioral change, you know, and, and do good pretty much worldwide across the board. So getting back to the question is that I think that authenticity and honesty is absolutely pivotal. It's not necessary to be all things to all men. Just be yourself 
and stand up and say, there's a need, therefore I will lead. Yeah. And, and another question I also, um, I usually find myself asking when talking about branding is, how do you measure it? Because it's, it's very much qualitative as opposed to quantitative. So it's, it's not easy to put numbers. So how would you suggest or what would you suggest is a good metric to measure branding and branding success? I think that the most important thing is to, so for companies that are driven by metrics and things like that, is to see, firstly, look at engagement. Um, see, are people responsive to your brand when, when you are having activations and things like that? Is there genuine interest? And also look for sentiment from your audiences. Do, is what you're saying mm. believable? Uh, cast a very, very discerning eye on those sorts of numbers, and they'll tell you a story. You don't want to look away at those numbers. You know, sometimes it's going to be painful, and sometimes they're going to be revelations to you. But ultimately, they're always worthwhile. Pay attention to how people are interacting with your brands. Find the numbers that support your suspicions, and then validate those suspicions or refute those suspicions. If I may add, it's important to have tracking in place early on, especially from the marketing perspective and the sales perspective. If you have that data with your old brand and then you go through a rebrand, it's very, very clear in, uh, you know, financially what an impact it's had. If you don't have tracking, then you are just kind of putting your finger in the air and seeing, you know, having a, a feel for it. Absolutely. But uh, if you have the tracking in place, then it's very easy to measure. Yeah. And Nikki, um, one of the things that I wanted to ask you about is we've talked quite a bit about some of the challenges you faced along the way, some of the things you had to do in order to rebrand to Sarid Hospitality. But tell us about some of the benefits. Tell us about some of the good things that have happened since you rebranded. Amazing stories. So, and again, I know I keep talking about in, internal, you know, stories, but that's been really so exciting because we unearthed the stories. We didn't yeah. dictate them. And you get to learn lots about people, which is so lovely. The other thing is, is we very much used our um, our um, pulpit, as it were, to be able to try and affect some industry change. In as one of our industry peers, as someone we've worked very closely with for from a sustainability point, and we've got yet more to do. And I think um, that's been really exciting because we are lucky. We serve lots of customers, and we have a big voice in our industry and, and we're trying to use that yeah. f- as a force of good. I think that's the most exciting thing always, right? So when you see it, obviously pretty pictures are lovely and branding's delightful, but when you see a true <laughs> Im- impact of what what you do, it's that's really rewarding. And I, I guess this is a final question for all three of you. And um, lots of people that listen to Starting Up are thinking about kind of advice. Many people would say, oh, I can't afford to get anyone involved in my branding. My branding, you know, I want to make handbags and that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go online and set up a website and say, I make handbags. But there's a lot more to that conversation. How do you, how would you suggest to someone starting out a company, whether it's a, a huge group like yours, Nikki, or, or, or someone sort of starting out a small business, how do you press them? impress upon them that branding from the get-go is important and any tips maybe even I, I think that the single most important thing to consider is your value proposition uh, if you have a solid value proposition and you believe in what it is that you have to sell you've done most of the work the next step is to make sure that you represent that product and your your ethos in a way that is compelling to the people who want to buy into what it is that you have to offer. There's no need to target absolutely everybody. There's a very specific tribe that is looking for you. Go out and step up to the plate and do it. Okay, okay. I would say that um, for those of you who have been listening, 
uh, we've hardly spoken about the logo. And I think that's a big mistake <laughs> that a lot of people make when they're first starting out and they think they've created a logo and that's it, job done. Um, and I would just advise do not do that. Um, the, there's a lot of exercises and, and introspection that you can do. You can go online, you can get a lot of tips on, on what to do. Um, but it's about alignment and knowing your purpose and knowing your, your vision and knowing your values. Get that right and then the rest will follow. And, and what do you think, Nikki? I started my own business when I was 25. And if I'd have stopped and worried about it, I'd have never started it. I say <laughs> go for it honestly because you'll work the rest out along the way if you do know what you stand for what you want to do and if you're really passionate about it and you love what you do the rest will follow and we had this discussion earlier i believe in logos i love them we do all the design in house and i love it but if i looked at only logos then i'd expect apple to sell fruit yeah and it's nothing to do with fruit it's to do with all the stuff they offer behind it so i love logos go for it but honestly as long as you know what you stand for and really believe in it, you'll be fine. So is there, is there uh, an argument that, you know, the old adage about first impressions count? Is there, you know, I guess a brand for, to, in order to be successful, need a bit more than that first impression. They need a bit more of your ear or your eye to, to, to tell you and to use their voice about what they do. Yeah, I, I think that, so we, we need to remember that before people even know anything about your, your, your startup, is that they are in a state of unawareness. And at some point, they become aware of who you are. And that's where the first impressions come in. So it's important to try and resonate once again with the right crowd, not necessarily with everybody. And what happens is that with time, as we nurture that tribe, is that we funnel them down towards that brand advocacy that we're really looking for. So, I mean, I'm looking at James here to see if he can pipe, and I can see that he looks like he's got the valuable um, contribution as well. Sorry, yeah. Uh, <laughs> what a team, guys. Yeah. What a team. <laughs> um, obviously, uh, the first, well, not obviously, but, but often the first thing someone sees of your company is your logo, okay? And so there is an important element there. Um, that's why people always come to us saying, I need a logo design when really they need rebranding. Um, and so. Yes, let's not discount the logo. It is important. Um, it, it, it just needs to make you know, make sure that it's well designed. Um, there's a there's a huge element of psychology behind the brand, um, and and uh, basically ninety five percent of decisions in the brain are made based on emotion. And what happens is you feel something, and you use your logic brain to justify that feeling. And so, if you can evoke an emotion then that's, that's essentially what a, a, a good brand does. Um, so the logo will, will, will need to be eye-catching. It needs to be uh, something that is unique and, and stands out and represents the, the deeper uh, element and the deeper component that we've been discussing today. Um, but it's very unusual that you just see a logo and nothing else. You know, There's an awful lot else that people do experience with the brand. And I don't think anyone's going to um, think that they're going to sell anything by just showing a logo. So everything we've been discussing today comes out uh, through the seams and, and through every, you know, all of the, the creative work that you produce and your behaviors and the way that your staff uh, work and, and believe. Um, and so, yeah, so I think that definitely the logo is important, but it's just an entry point. I think that also, you know, uh, following that same vein of thought is that we really don't want to put the cart before the horse. 
your value proposition should come first. This preoccupation with the visual identity that if I get my logo right or if my typefaces are correct and I combine them all together that it will sell itself, it doesn't work that way. It really <laughs> doesn't. It's not a question of if you build it, they will come. So be less concerned about your logo and be more concerned with your value first. It's funny. I think the Sarood was actually one of the logo options for the the brand logo choice this uh, this week, was it not? No, there was a it was a There's palm a, leaf. Okay, okay. Yeah. okay. But it looks, that would have been bit. really cool for yeah. us. Yeah. <laughs> and Bringing I would definitely it back. have chosen it just so. <laughs> <laughs> of course, I think would've. we should all discuss which ones we cho- because I, we've had fierce debate in our yeah. office about it this I week. Like it's the, really divided. I like everyone. the lines. I like yeah, the seven lines. I have to say, I chose one. the seven lines as well. The yeah. colors, I think, s- sold it for me. What about you, Nikki? You, I chose the script. No, I chose the script because. Well, because I think it's utterly beautiful. I love <laughs> Arabic scripts. I think it's beautiful. Mm. Um, and and we were having this debate earlier. But I can understand mm. why people chose the different things they did. But it's yeah. really interesting and it is dividing. I think we're talking about first impressions. I also think it, we need to talk about lasting impressions. Because mm. actually that's the thing that's going to get people coming back. You mm. can attract someone's attention with silly videos and doing this and the other. But once they scratch the surface, what's the substance underneath that style? If you don't have it, then you won't capture their attention further and actually convert to purchase or to experience or whatever it is. I think that's the long-term objective, right? Mm-hmm. And finally, before we let you go, which one which one do you two go for? Script as well. Script. Oh, there design you go. people. The design outnumbered. people. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you can you can see where the true talent lies in this department, can't you? That's all we've got time for on this part of the show. Big thank you to our team on Startup Clinic. Nikki Welsh is from Sarood Hospitality. Nikki, really lovely to have you on the programme. Thanks, guys. And I love your show. I do listen to it every week. So I'm a bit thank starstruck. You. Oh, well, what can I say? You can stay on for the rest of the show now. <laughs> in fact, come back every week. Um, thank you Done. indeed. And big thanks to James Pardo, digital marketer. And Jonathan both a creative director both from Joie Brands thank you both for coming in thank you, thank you for it's having been us. an honour coming up on the show in a few minutes time we're going to be talking to the CEO and founder of Crush Brands Ian Ohan is here to discuss their journey transformation and rebrand as what we now know as Freedom Pizza this is Dubai I 103.8